0: Hear us at 1340
1: a.m. What's the bus? Tell me what's a happening. What's the bus? Tell me what's a happening. What's the bus? Tell me what's a happening. What's the bus? Tell me what's happening.
0: What's the bus? Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. We are going to spend this hour explaining, debating, venting, uh... learning from the week gone by we are so happy to be broadcasting today from the northwest african-american museum in the center of seattle hey team so thank you thank you nam for hosting us we are on a summer tour here of seattle's new election districts we're in district three a place i asked our audience to describe in one word before the show and they said it's home it's verdant, it's community. They also use the words criminal, friendly, diverse, changing, and of course gentrifying. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about how this district is in flux. Uh, first, let's talk about how much race can or cannot be in flux. Uh, welcome, guests: journalist Tanya Mosley, former Attorney General Rob McKenna, novelist and poet Sherman Alexi Thank you all for coming. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we obviously cannot talk about uh, current events or race um, without talking about the mass murder this week, the racial terrorist attack in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, at one of America's great symbols of peace and uh, and shelters and uh, symbols of justice. So as if this week's racial dolezal post-racial discussion uh, were not warped enough, uh, there you go. So... so uh, I think Charleston will be part of this discussion, but in case all of you have been on a blessed vacation, Rachel Dolezal is the former Spokane NAACP leader who had claimed to be African American, whose ancestors were not from Africa, at least not any time close to recently. And this week she told Matt Lauer on NBC that, well, her story is not just about race.
2: The discussion is really about what it is to be human. Um, and. And I hope that that really can drive at the core of definitions of race, ethnicity, culture, self-determination, personal agency, and ultimately empowerment.
3: You you resigned your position at the NAACP out in Spokane. Do do you feel you could have been as effective? And by the way, you should get a lot of credit. A lot of people feel you breathe new life into that chapter. (laughs) Could you have been as successful? Could you have had as big an impact had you been a Caucasian woman as opposed to being identified as an African-American woman?
2: I don't know. I guess I, I haven't had the opportunity to um, to experience that in those shoes. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
3: And finally, your two sons, Isaiah and Franklin, are here in the studio. They are. Um, if I were to ask them if you're a black woman or a Caucasian woman, how do you think they'd answer?
2: Well, I, I actually was talking to um, one of my sons yesterday, and, and he said, Mom, racially, you're human, and culturally, you're black. And, you know, so, I mean, we've had these conversations over the years. I do know that they support the, the way that I identify, and they support me. Ultimately, we have each other's back. We're the three musketeers.
0: Okay, that was Rachel Dolezal on NBC Today. So, to begin with, Rob McKenna... You asked me a good question uh, when I talked to you yesterday. Will you uh, start us by asking your, uh, asking your fellow panelists what you asked me?
1: Yeah, I, I'm curious, Tanya and Sherman, uh, to know as one of the two high five and white guys up here today. Uh, you know, tell us why this issue, the story is so important. Why this leader of a chapter in Spokane, Washington is now a national, if not an international story.
4: Okay, so I have to say, first off, who said that it was important? And so for me, I mean, I feel like I've spent um, six days, 23 hours, and really 24 hours and 30 minutes longer than I wanted to with this taking up space in my brain. I remember my husband brought it up to me um, the evening that it broke, and we had a laugh about it. We talked about the movie The Jerk. He made a a joke reference to that. (laughs) And then... um, I checked out all the pictures of her hair and thought, okay, that's pretty interesting, and then that was it. I mean, but, but now that we're having this discussion and it continues to go on and on, there are other issues that have come up about it, defining race, and I think it's just very convenient as a white woman, of course she has the privilege to say, okay, we are in a post-racial society where you can be anything you want to be. We are not. I cannot be white. I cannot say, I just did a DNA test a a while ago, and I found that I'm 38% Irish. Um, Could I ever identify as a white person? No. I mean, in this country, we have laws. We had the one-drop rule law. And because of that, I mean, you have one drop of black blood, you're considered black. So, I mean, extending beyond her because she's just a crazy individual, I feel, um, she is not the one to bring forth this discussion about race and classifying race.
0: Sherman, want to add? What
3: I've, I I also at the beginning started laughing and I tweeted twenty seven jokes in a row, uh, because uh, you know I am I'm, I'm smart but I get foolish about this stuff sometimes because I forget how much white people don't know. Uh, it's a lot. Uh, yes. Yeah, and yeah. And uh, uh, don't underestimate so, us. Yeah, because, that's right. <laughs> so so the 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 idea of every people thinking this was new, people thinking this was bringing up new topics, new subjects, people thinking that this is the first time this has ever happened. I mean of course white people have been pretending to be brown people since the beginning. And it was always for capitalistic profit. It's always for cultural profit. And the thing that shocked me is how, you know, as Tanya was alluding to, that white people were taking her seriously, white people were apologizing for her white people were empathizing with her, and, and this is uh, white liberals, by the way. White conservatives were having the same reaction I was, you know, who is this crazy woman? Uh, that was the white conservative reaction, so it was why like... Why do you think that is? Because she's a crazy woman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> why, do you think,
3: uh, uh,
0: why do you think white liberals were taking her
3: seriously? Because uh, she, she, in some way, symbolized this post-racial nirvana where everything is blended and beautiful which is the utopian white liberal belief that that's the way things are going to work and that's the way things should be and even among my friends uh, uh, there were my white friends liberals conservatives were sending these post racial conversations as race is a fluid concept Mm -hmm. I, I kept hearing that over and over again race is a fluid concept race isn't even real and then black intellectuals got into it Kareem Abdul Jabbar wrote this incoherent uh, op-ed in Time Magazine, that I, I've read 20 times and I still can't figure out what he's trying to say, uh, uh, which apologizes for her and, and, and essentially the notion of let her be what she wants to be, but the th- and, and minimizing what she's done. And the thing is, in the context of what happened in Charleston, uh, white conservatives disappear blackness through violence. White liberals disappear blackness through cultural appropriation. So, what Rachel Dolezal. Tell me
0: what you mean by that.
3: Cultural they steal appropriation. stuff.
0: <laughs> Don't underestimate uh, us. Say they more. steal stuff.
3: Uh, uh, I mean, not just land, <laughs> in the case of Native Americans, but freedom, speech, culture, art. I mean, you know, one of the things nobody's barely even talking about, there, there's an interview with Rachel. Dolazal in the Eastern Washington University magazine, where she's posing in front of one of her original paintings, Uh, and it's a triptych of images. The middle image is apparently (laughs) completely forged from a painting by a a 19th century painter named J. N. W. Marshall, Mm -hmm. called "Slave Ship," and it's a forgery. So, so she she goes way beyond. Being black, she goes into the idea of taking something and, 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 and a, a completely appropriating it. The idea this is my voice. And this is all in the context of positive cultural experiences. And the thing is, when somebody says they're Native, somebody, I mean, one of you still going to do it. After this, <laughs> one of you white people is going to come up to me and you're going to say, my great grandmother was, was something. Mm-hmm. You're going to say it to me. You're going to say it to me, even though I am mocking you, pre mocking you. <laughs> But you you are so deaf, you are so deaf to your own privilege that you're not even hearing me right now saying this to you. But the thing is, uh, I I have, I mean, I have Scottish ancestors. Mm -hmm. I would never go to Scotland, walk up to somebody Scottish, and say, You and I have a lot in common.
4: yeah you know what 's really interesting is just a few days ago, um, I um, went to speak to a group um, families of color Seattle, and they have a specific group within that group it 's black mothers it 's a black mothers group and I went there to talk with them just about being a black mother in Seattle. We had a great discussion, but what I was completely floored by in the in the room, um, everyone talked about their their background, and no one was. Just plain old black, like me, you know, like with a black mother and a black father. Everyone was Filipino and black or um, Native American and black or something else in black and their their husband was German, but they identified their children as black, they identified themselves as black. And it wasn't until we got into that discussion, that deeper discussion, that, you know we talk deeper about this whole issue within our country is you know you have to kind of shut off those other parts of yourself if you have any type of black blood and so this is just extending the conversation beyond dolezal because i mean she brings this up so maybe there's a positive lining in that we can have that discussion but to talk about the discussion of being post racial at this point is just ridiculous and it also minimizes the damage she's done in spokane not so much by identifying herself as black but by lying potentially lying about these threats That happened there. It's terrorizing a community. It's bringing up issues that may or may not be true within that community. And with that, um, there's a lot of damage done there.
0: May I ask another question? Sure. We're not. We're not in a post-racial or post-racism world. If we want ever to be, if so, Martin Luther King's children are not judged solely on the content of their character as opposed to the color of their skin. If we want Martin Luther King's great-great-grandchildren, I don't know, great-great-great-great-grandchildren, what if we want to be in that world? First of all, is that valid to express? And second, what, what sh- then what should we be doing to get there, in your view?
3: Uh, uh, this afternoon, I went uh, Nikki Haley and the South Carolina legislature. She's the governor of South Carolina. Of governor to stand up and say that they're immediately removing all Confederate flag imagery from official state buildings. <laughs> that they are. Uh, renaming all the freeways and highways named after Confederate leaders and they are, they are demolishing all the statues uh, erected in honor of Confederate uh, soldiers. The, the elimination of the romantization of the Confederacy in the South is the very first basic step toward this. Uh, uh, if, I mean, if you look on a map, it's highly likely this guy fled from Charleston on a highway or freeway named after a Confederate general. And, and, and that's where you need to begin. Uh, uh, and what know, about here? Uh, here? What about in Seattle? We should all be riding to South Carolina. <laughs> the conservatives of Washington, uh, <laughs> Rob, I'm, all, I'm all over it. Should, I'm on should, it. Be, should <laughs> be, should be, should be completely, completely. I mean, we should have an embargo, a cultural embargo of South Carolina conservatives until they do this.
4: I'm, I'm happy, Sherman, that you, you're able to um, eloquently articulate that because I have to say, I'm. I'm really tired of people asking me that question. Like I don't have the answers. You guys have the answers. I mean, we all are a part of this. And uh, over the last few years, how many people have I said have come to me and said, "What can I do? What can we do as a society to make things better?" I mean. Um, you know, I'm probably feeling really um, down right now because of what happened in Carolina. I mean, I um, at, at, after I put my kids to bed last night, I sat down and I read all of the um, the news articles finally, and I just sobbed. And I just thought, you know, I just want to live in this country. I just want to be able to potty train my son and go to my daughter's concert that she's having having this afternoon. I, it's just, I'm just tired.
1: Well, why, do you think that some people, Tanya, are uh, eager to uh, move to a post-race society because they're just uncomfortable with the fact of race? Is that a factor for, for some?
4: Well, I think that's a given, that people unco- are uncomfortable having the discussion. And I mean, where you where you are in life, I mean, you may have not had to directly look in the face of this. I mean, your experience, so many people here in Washington state maybe never even knew a black person. So of course, they don't think of themselves as racist or contributing to um, this greater issue in our society because they've never had to directly deal with it. But um, I I guess that answers your question. Mm
3: -hmm. I have other ideas.
0: Okay, Sherman.
3: Universal pre-K. Uh, because race and class and racism are all intermixed, Uh, universal pre-K education, low-income housing in every neighborhood. There should be uh, numerous low-income housing apartments and housing on Mercer Island. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, You You, you
1: spent a lot of time on Mercer Island Sherman. I haven't seen you there, but maybe you've been over.
3: Uh, I go to Mercer Island to raise money for yeah. poor people in the rest of Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they're happy to give money. They're yeah. not happy to have neighbors who might need help. Uh, so, there, there are uh, a lot
1: more apartments there than you, than you might appreciate, not actually. Not low
3: income housing no, you specifically might, designed. Yeah, you might
1: uh, I, I don't disagree with you. There, you know what? When Marilyn and I lived in Chicago, we lived mm-hmm. on the South Side because I was, I was attending the University of Chicago. So we were surrounded by neighborhoods full of these enormous uh you know apartment homes for low income folks and and you know robert taylor homes and they were a nightmare because they they concentrated all of the people who were poor and mostly African American in, in, in a few places. And it was a disaster. And the, and the best thing to do is to move people out into the neighborhoods. In our neighborhood in, in, in South Bellevue, for example, we have Section 8 housing. We have a YWCA uh, housing project for, for women who have been battered right around the corner from us. And those kids go to school with our kids. And that is the way things ought to work not isolating, not concentrating, not separating or segregating.
0: We're going to talk about more about Bellevue, as a matter of fact, and about being in flux. And can we? You want to talk about some other things, you guys? Okay. No, yeah. I, I want to talk only
3: about race forever. Forever. Yeah, I know. Right? Okay.
0: Well, as it happens, the Spokane NAACP has offered its vacant president job to Kennewick man.